Welcome to the Fishers of Men podcast, brought to you by us at So Much Media. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. I'm Laura Samara Sands. This podcast is about relationships and your walk with Jesus. It's about the true stories of Christian men and women's struggles with chastity, sex, marriage, and relationships in a post-Christian culture. another episode of the Fishers of Men podcast. Uh, we have some special guests today, Raymond and Ashley from The Mass Box, and uh, we're really excited to talk about something that we definitely have not ever talked about on the podcast <laughs> before, and about the role of fathers in a family's prayer life. Mm. But first of Great all, topic. thank you so much, Raymond and Ashley, for being here with us today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, they are joining us all the way from Virginia on this call so you guys are three hours ahead and in snow while we're here in sunny california <laughs> yeah and it's like 60 degrees <laughs> so first of all could you tell us a little bit about yourselves and what the mass box is sure um well we've been married for seven years and we'll talk about our discernment a little bit i'm sure and we have three kids a six-year-old a four-year-old and a two-year-old and found that we really needed to do more, um, especially with the six-year-old, to get her engaged in math. Mm. So I am a, uh, a film producer and director. Raymond is really good with hands-on everything with little people. So the math box kind of evolved naturally out of what we needed to do with doing hands-on activities with our kids. And when we found how difficult it was to put them together every week, we realized we're not the only ones who are probably in that position. And if we're going to do all of the work anyway, we should share it with others. Oh, that's really great. That is really cool. Yeah. Um, so since you mentioned your discernment story, um, could you tell us how what that was like? I was a, a youth minister over at St. Matthew Catholic Church here in Virginia Beach. I'd been there for a few years and been um, doing the internal battle of God, I know you're calling me to be holy, but I'm going to just assume that must mean I'm called to be a nun, so I'm going to fight it because I'm not ready to go live in a cloister, uh, <laughs> but I know you're calling me to be holy. And at the same time, I was a recent convert and came into the church and passionate about following through with everything that I had learned. Um, recently blessed, and I really felt engaged in the faith, and I wanted to do more. So naturally, I felt called to the priesthood and was in active discernment with the vocations director down the Raleigh Diocese. So while that's all going on, I finally decided after I'd been a youth minister for about a year and a half, I was ready to do whatever it was God really wanted me to do. So I started out a new year with the promise, I will pray liturgy of the hours specifically for my vocation, and I'll be ready to give up and go join an order. Whatever you want, God, I'm ready to do it. I'm actually going to pray for my discernment instead of pretending to. Mm. And I had a similar position, but mine was a little bit more, God, I'm willing to do anything that you want me to do as long as it's what I want to do. <laughs> it's a familiar prayer. So familiar. <laughs> so we were in these two overlapping spheres of the, the young adult community in Hampton Roads. We had an awesome young adult community where pretty much any night of the week you could be in either praise and worship and adoration or in a Bible study or a theology on tap. It was awesome. So that was my pool for finding volunteers for youth ministry. So I had a 
situation come up where I had noticed Raymond existed, and he seemed like a cool guy. I was pretty sure he was already a seminarian because he was always the altar server and would wear his cassock all the time. He really liked his cassock. So he'd wear his cassock at adoration and then um, put on the rest of his vestments to be an altar server, and he took it so seriously. He was, he was very focused. I didn't know he was terrified to mess up, and that's why he looked so focused, but he was focused. <laughs> so he seemed like a, a safe guy, and he gave a talk on Deus Caritas Est, God is Love, mm-hmm. and he did a great job giving a talk. So I had noticed him, and then my main adult male volunteer, my only adult male volunteer, called me one night and said, I'm sorry, but the Air Force is doing that thing the Air Force loves to do. I can't go to Steubenville. I can't do missions. And I have to drop out of youth ministry completely because they're deploying me next week. Wow. So I was stuck in a weird position and I thought, okay, who's the least creepy guy who goes to all of these young adult things? (laughs) That guy, Raymond. Let me stalk him and find his phone number and give him a call. So I call him. And say, hey, what's your next step in your faith? Would you like to start working on, um, you know, with kids, with high schoolers? Are you ready? And he said. Well, actually, at the time, I was uh, terrified of the idea of working with kids, but had been praying as part of my discernment to be open to whatever the next call was. I was, I felt like I was called to do something else, though I didn't know what it was. And so I had been praying, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? When I got that call. So uh, when she said, hey, I'd like for you to pray and discern if this is what you're called to do, my response was really simple. It was, it was quite, quite easy. It was, uh, I've been praying for the next step, and I think that you're the answer to my prayers. Mm. Little did I know <laughs> that there was a more ways than one. one. <laughs> uh, she was, in fact, the answer to my prayers. So I got Raymond plugged in. Pretty immediately, so much that, you know, he had one or two youth groups. I saw the kids liked him. They accepted him. And then I got him signed up for Steubenville. They said, hey, since you're, you know, helping out one Wednesday a week, how about I take up all your vacation days this summer? And let's go to Steubenville, do a week-long camping trip after, and then two weeks later go on a week-long domestic mission trip. And Raymond said, okay, sure, I've got the vacation days. Let's do it. So all that was going on, and it was great for ministry, and we were teaching Theology of the Body for Teens, where mm-hmm. Raymond was leading the guys' small group. I was leading the girls' small group. So really great material to, to kind of see where somebody is on how solid they are on church teaching anyway. Um, <laughs> but it was really all focused on, on youth ministry. Then, and, and Raymond still didn't know, you know, the promise I had made to God that I would pray liturgy of the hours. He went on his big discernment retreat with the Diocese of Raleigh. Yeah, the uh, seminarians get together once a year, and every so often they'll invite one or two people discerning. So I got to go to a a St. Francis Retreat Center down in North Carolina. It was so beautiful there. It was out in the middle of nowhere, so there was pretty much nothing to do but to talk to each other and commune with God. So it was awesome for a retreat. What made it better was Bishop Burbage, the bishop in Raleigh at the time, was there on the retreat with us, and he is a phenomenal bishop. I just absolutely love this man. He's such a father to his priests and to everybody that that, um, he serves. So I got to actually be three doors down from him at the retreat center. And so I was there, and, and I talked to my vocations director, and he was, are you ready to move forward? I said, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm getting off the fence. 
I'm ready to, whatever it is, I've been praying for my will to become God's and for God's will to be done. And I'm done with it. I, I feel like this is my call and I'm not going to buck it. Whatever it is that I'm called to do and this is the way I'm called, let's go. Let's Give me the paperwork. Let's do this. Let's, let's follow this vocational call. Mm. So while he was on that retreat, actually, I guess it was about a week or two earlier, I went on my retreat with the Dominican sisters in Nashville who are mm. amazing. And I felt like I was at Disney world there. Um, <laughs> this is great, but it was clear to me that it, it wasn't my calling. It was great for a time and I would love to visit them. I had a good talk with the vocations director. So I had pretty much figured out, okay, so I'm not called to religious life. Now what? And ironically enough, the, uh, the other two young women who were supposed to go with me on that retreat and we were going to drive down together, had to cancel at the last minute, so I ended up flying down. I, of course, sent a text out to all of my circle of friends who can pick me up from the airport, and Raymond texted and emailed back immediately, I'll pick you up. <laughs> so he had picked me up from the airport from that retreat, and then, you know, like a week or two later, he went on his retreat. Then he came back, and he sent his own text out to the circle. Yeah, so I... You, I over the retreat, I got really into praying the Liturgy of the Hours, and I wanted to do that. At the, one of the local parishes, the parish where we were serving at the time, we have the only perpetual adoration chapel in the entire diocese. Mm. So I thought it would be wonderful to get a group of people that were focused on Christ and prayer to get together and pray Liturgy of the Hours together at least once a day in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Like That was really exciting to me. So I sent the text message out to a bunch of people, and uh, two or three people responded back. Yeah, absolutely. So we set up our first prayer um, uh, group get-together uh, for the day that I was still driving back. I was, I was, it was like a four- or five-hour drive, and I was going to end it with end the drive from my retreat with our first get-together to pray the liturgy of the hours together. So it ended up being um, Raymond, uh, one other volunteer from youth ministry, and I got together that first day, and Raymond still didn't know my commitment to God had been Liturgy of the Hours for my vocation. Mm-hmm. Um, it quickly fell off to just Raymond and I getting together um, anytime really work schedules permitted in the morning and at night to pray Liturgy of the Hours. Um, so here's Ashley praying for her vocation, and me, I've actually got the application in my hand going to Liturgy of the Hours, uh, and then, you know, after we would pray liturgy hours, I would spend time in adoration working on my application for se- seminary. Oh, wow. Uh, this kind of was going on for, I guess, I don't know, a few months. Yeah, a couple months. Of just serving in youth ministry and praying. And I was starting to really see, okay, I think this is, this is my vocation, but he's got this application to seminary. What do I do? And with spiritual direction, we started without a big public announcement discerning marriage while Raymond was continuing to discern for the priesthood. In fact, I would go with him down to Raleigh to visit his family and for him to go to his discernment meetings. Um, My my vocations director had advised me to do a 40-day novena for my vocation. Like, okay, I, I expressed to him, hey, yeah, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to fill out the paperwork. I'm ready to go. But there's this girl uh so um that's how that got started he says you know yeah here's this novena of saint joseph faithfully pray pray this for 40 days uh and you will have better direction you'll have your answer basically me being 
really very literal, took this advice as strictly as it could possibly have been interpreted. And so that's what I did. I would go, you know, day one, day two, day three, day seven, and then skip day eight. Oh, crap. You know, now I got to start over. Fine. Day one, day two, <laughs> day oh, oh, something came up. Day three, I skipped day three. I got to start back over. Mm. And this had been my 40-day my, uh, my novena. I, I would have to keep resetting it because of one thing or another. So I had finally eventually been able to get through all 40 days consecutively and faithfully praying the novena. And I remember meeting with my, my vocations director. And he says, so how, do you, how are you doing? I said, well, I, I just recently finished all 40 days. And I'm, um, I'm a little disappointed. I don't feel like I've gotten the answer. I don't feel like I'm called one way or the other more particularly than the other. And I remember he looked at me and says, wait, did you really think you would just get the answer right after? And I felt, kind of, I felt a little naive. And I said, well, yeah, I, I guess I kind of did. And I felt a little bit foolish that I, I had such trust in this novena and such a devotion and dedication to the novena that I actually thought I would, silly me, I would get my answer. But I, I think I needed that because after that meeting, uh, my vocations director said, you know, hey, we're good. Go ahead and pray in the uh, Adoration Chapel for a little while. I did. And I lay, the, I, I lay prostrate on the, on the floor praying about my vocation. And that's actually when it came to me. I had... It's it, it's hokey to say vision. I don't. For me, it's hokey to say vision. I don't know what a vision looks like. Like I don't know what people who have visions see. But it's the only way that I could d- describe the experience because it wasn't just merely a dream or or a mm. thought. Um, but I saw myself being ordained as a priest. I saw a vision of me celebrating mass. And I had so much joy in this. And uh, as a convert, um, the idea of the rest of my family coming into the church is just, I mean, that's a, a huge, huge um, desire of my heart. And I saw my dad come into confession with me mm. and making his first confession and coming into the church. And the amount of joy that I had over this was just overwhelming. But I also had a vision of my wedding day with Ashley. And oddly enough, though I really had no desire to have kids, I had a, or nor could I play guitar at all. In this sort of moment, I saw me and Ashley together, me with a guitar and her pregnant, and I was serenading our unborn child. And I felt the joy from that, from all the love of that vocation. And to me, the way I interpreted this was stop belaboring, stop doubting, stop fighting it. Mm. God is with you. Uh, uh, discern already. You know, <laughs> there, there's, there's good both ways. Yeah. Uh, and so, so make a decision. Right. And so uh, I did, you know, the next step from that was you know, keep everything quiet and under wraps until I got a chance to talk to her dad. The biggest thing from just our discernment was realizing once we put God in control, it may not always be on our timelines, but it's not so difficult. And you don't have to already know, 
I want to get married and I need to go find my spouse or I want to be a priest, I need to go find which order or which diocese or I need to have already made the decision that I'm going to be a sister. And it's okay if that path changes because sometimes God points us in one direction because if we don't follow that direction, we'll never find where he's actually calling us. Mm. And it was kind of often, at least this was my experience, is I wanted to always have the spreadsheet and the path already laid out before I said yes to anything. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) Yes. I have a naval background, and we know in in the Navy you can't steer a ship that's uh, not moving forward. No matter how much you turn the rudder, it's not going to turn. You have to actually have to have – you have to get underway. You have to be setting sails to be able to steer. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a really good point. And it's really beautiful to hear your story and then to also hear what you're doing now and to kind of see how you both felt called to – you, well, you both both were working in ministry, and then now mm-hmm. how you're able to bring like that ministry into your married life, and that it's like you know maybe the the calling that you felt uh, and you know the how your gifts that you could have used like for the priesthood or to be a sister like you can also bring them into the family, mm-hmm. and it's not like you kind of have to erase those parts of yourselves, right? Yeah, exactly. I think that's also a really good point for anybody who is discerning that we get hung up on the idea that to be holy or to be called to a deep relationship with God must mean priesthood or religious. But God calls all of us in different ways and not to to drop those gifts and those servings, but to work in a different way, like with our little youth group downstairs. like to be a, uh, a religious sister? Uh, what does it look like to be a priest? And are those two things, if you have this image, and I've had to learn this, if you have an image that's di- diametrically opposed to the responsibilities of a wife and a husband, I, I would say maybe it, that needs to be reconsidered. Mm-hmm. You know, in building up the domestic church, mm-hmm. our responsibility as a father is not different substantially from priest. Yeah. Yeah. I had a spiritual director a few years ago who said that he said like the thing that makes me a good priest is also the same thing that would have made me a good father. Like he knew he would have been a good father, but in his discernment process, he just felt that God was calling him to the priesthood. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That gives us a really nice segue into uh, talking about the role of fathers in the domestic church, in families. Um, So could you tell us a little bit about why should fathers have this active role in leading their family's para life? You know, I had a, the pleasure of uh, listening to a talk just this past Saturday from uh, the Bishop Emeritus of the Arlington Diocese, who uh, I just love. He's a fantastic bishop. And he talked about the he started off his talk talking about the uh, domestic church, but he wanted to put that in his perspective and explain it for those who don't really understand it. And the way he did it was he talked about the, the church universal, the Catholic church, being made up of particular churches or dioceses, and that each of the particular churches have their local bishops overseeing them, and that the particular churches make up the church universal. 
He then broke it down into the diocesan level and pointing out that the parishes uh, are what makes up your local particular church or your diocese, and that each of them are headed by a pastor. Then he broke it down smaller. You know, each family at that parish is their own domestic church, and each father is called to be the priest of that domestic church. And so it was, able, it was really a neat way to uh, continuity between the bishop to the local ordinary to your local pastor to your domestic father, the mm. father in the with that continuity, the responsibilities don't change mm. at all. You know, the, this what the Pope is called to do and what our bishops are called to do is the same thing that our fathers and our households are called to do. And in much the same way. Mm. Yeah, so would you say, though, that it isn't the norm? Like, because, you know, we're having to be reminded uh, of these responsibilities? Well, yeah, I would, I would say that it's not the norm. If we need to be reminded of it, it's not the norm. <laughs> right. I think it's becoming the norm. Mm. I think it needs to become the norm. One of the things that the, that the bishop had said, Bishop Lavari had said, if we want to change our parishes, we have to change our families. Mm-hmm. If you want to change the diocese, it starts by changing the families. If you want to change the church, it starts by changing the families. Mm-hmm. And this isn't a direct quote. It's kind of more what I got out of what he was saying. It's very true. If we want this to become the norm, we have to start in our families. Mm-hmm. I definitely see, you know, there is this kind of, a tendency because mothers spend so much time with kids uh, to end up talking about some of the more emotional elements of life to neglect fathers within faith formation. And that's a, a big mistake. You know, study after study has shown how much fathers are important. I'm sure many of you have heard of, you know, the, the 1994 study out of Switzerland where they found that if they compared fathers and mothers going to church and how much they practice the faith, and they found that if both father and mother attend regularly, 33% of the children will be regular churchgoers. 41% will end up attending regularly. So only about a quarter of the children end up not practicing the faith at all. Mm. Um, but if the dad is irregular or doesn't go to church, that number drops to 3 or 2% become regular churchgoers, mm. even if the mother is very active. And if the father is not active at all, 60% of the kids have nothing to do with faith as adults. Those numbers aren't reversed. If it's the mom who's inactive and the dad who's active, you know, it still shows that it has more of an influence. But there's that bit of a tendency. We see sometimes with we homeschool our kids, and we really do have a, a mix of responsibility between when each of us is at work and each of us are working with the kids on homeschooling. But if Raymond picks up the kids from a supplement class, they'll sometimes give him things to give to me. Not, here's this syllabus for you to look at, but (laughs) here, give this to Ashley. (laughs) Or, are you babysitting the kids today? And Raymond will go, no, I'm being a dad. Um, But it's not what is expected. People seem to expect moms to do it, but it's not, you know, dads have, if not an equal role, uh, a greater role in actual faith formation. Sorry, yeah. I went off on a little bit of a tangent there. I really no, like that. No, that's great. That was a really great, yeah, thank you so much for citing those because I didn't know those statistics. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious what you think are the reasons why it's not the norm. Like, is it 
partly that we don't expect this of dads and so they don't really expect it of themselves or they just don't know where to start or what to do? You know, as much as Ashley loves statistics, I love history. So I would, <laughs> I would go back. To answer that question, I'd say uh, there was this guy, Adam, and this woman, Eve. Yeah, no, I, I, I really do think it's, it's the answer to the question, I think, is we just have a fallen nature. Right. I think, in general, men do have a tendency towards hubris and sloth, a little bit more than, than we would like to admit. And so I think we, we'll, we'll go out and we'll work hard for the immediate and the tangible, our paychecks. And we'll be responsible for doing the hard labor that shows an immediate result. Mm -hmm. But the things that are hard labor that don't show an immediate result, you know, like raising children, mm -hmm. tend to slough off. But our hubris gets in the way. So rather than saying we're failing, we just pridefully tend to say, well, we're you know bringing home the bacon. Rather than addressing our own laziness I guess <laughs> so I think that's part of it and, and culturally we just simply allow that to to be the norm we allow it to be that dads go to work and that moms are supposed to not go to work but they're responsible for particular faith formation of the children even to the point that dads don't even need to go to worship on Sunday mm. because you know they're Maybe that's their, their one day off to watch sports or to catch up on some rest, or mm. maybe that's an extra day that they could put in some extra hours. And I think these are broad generalizations. By sure. no means am I saying about stay-at-home dads, because uh, I think it could be reversed. Uh, female roles, there, I think, easily could be reversed in some families. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. We recently had an episode of two stay-at-home dads that d just told about their experience and just the expectation that was put on them or their lack of expectation that they could actually do it. And it was just an interesting talk because it is not normal, but it is a growing minority because we're realizing that, you know, dads, it's important too. And dads have an equal right to raising their children the way they want. And obviously women can, can go to the workforce and it's fine, you know? So I like that we're talking about it now as well. Yeah, no, it's you know it's interesting. Uh, Ashley had to jet set off to Rome for something like a week to go do a film project with some people that she could only interview in Rome. That's all I'll say on that. <laughs> so that one of her friends had said, "Oh, what's going to happen to the kids?" And she's like, "Well, Raymond's going to have them." And right. I, do I do you check up on them? Is he going to be okay? And it's like, what do you mean? Why? Why would they not be okay? Yeah. I'm do what I do. Of course they're going to be fine. But, yeah, I think there's a lot of people out there that, you know, and I think it's sad that there are a lot of women who fear taking a weekend off and going away uh, on a retreat, on a women's retreat, or even would be reluctant to have a ladies' night out because leaving their children with their husband would cause them to cringe. I think that's horrible. Yeah, and that's really reinforced in media too how so often we see like the really hapless dad who like can't even do laundry or yeah he, like he like can't he like gets tangled up in the blinds or <laughs> <laughs> definitely a stereotype disney kids especially love to promote i mean they like to show both parents at the nest but particularly dad mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Well, so that's why it's really great for us to get stories out like yours to yeah. say like, oh, hey, it is possible. <laughs> like we, we can, it's like actually really valuable uh, what fathers bring to the table. Yeah. Not only possible or valuable, but necessary yeah. just from what you're saying. Cause that makes a lot of sense about the fathers not being in church. My dad was never in church. And so my dad, my brother went one way and then I continued into the faith, but my mom was very faithful. So I could see that, especially as a guy, and then your father, as the your male role model, is not practicing those things. Then I could see how that would be an easy way for you to walk away, because like, oh, dad's not doing it, I don't have to. You know, mm-hmm. the importance of fathers as in that role and to exemplify what it means to be a faithful man. I think it's so important. Yeah, absolutely, and I would say, you know, again, using the idea that the domestic church is not different than your parish other than scope and size what would your parish life look like if your pastor just didn't show up you know if he didn't come out for mass if he didn't pray the rosary if he did all the things your pastor does for the faith life of your parish what if he just didn't do these things what if he was absent for everything well we see that i think i think it's an easy answer what happens in domestic churches churches where the dad is absent in the faith life yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the decisions we made early on in the math box was we wanted to gently encourage fathers, you can do this without, you know, slamming a hammer down or, or saying anything against mother-led faith formation, but to encourage dads to step up. By In the webisodes that we shoot to go along with a craft for every Sunday, it's Raymond doing the craft with the kids. And part of that just is the natural flow that he's more likely to do crafts with our kids anyway. Yeah. And I'm the film person, so I need to be behind the cameras. So it was a natural flow for us, but also was a conscious decision to be an encouragement to dad. You can talk about faith concepts with a five-year-old. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that kind of, that's a, that leads us into what are the logistics? So, you know, like if someone, if, if a father is listening to this right now and he's like, well, okay, this sounds pretty good. What would you recommend as a place to start for a father to kind of take a more active role in the family? Yeah, I would, I would say first step is radically changing everything you do in life. Um, (laughs) Easy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I, and I think that oftentimes it is uh, the kind of an answer you would expect or you would get. But I would say that uh, change one thing, what, one more, one change. Get up ten minutes earlier in the day, and you have some prayer time alone, just you and Jesus, and then allow that to that joy of that prayer to grow until you want to share that with your family. Mm. You know, right your ship. In a sense, don't jump right. I would, I would say, don't jump right into praying the rosary with a family if you're not a guy that doesn't pray the rosary mm. every day. What you would wind up be showing the family is that prayer isn't something that should be sustainable. Find some method or manner of prayer that you enjoy, build that up in your life, and then share it with the family and bring them into it. Make that make it, and it could be make sure you're always faithful to praying for your food. Every single time, start somewhere that that resonates well with you individually. Maybe reading a paragraph of the Bible if you're not sure how to pray. <laughs> doing that small step. Yeah, that's really great. 
And it's really also, that's one thing that I'm really grateful for about our faith, that we have so many different ways to pray. Mm. And so even if you think prayer might not be for you, like there probably actually is a way to pray that is for you. You just haven't found it yet. Yeah, and I think for me, I learn well when I'm teaching. So doing the math box has really changed my life too, Mm. because while I'm teaching Claire, I have to know the materials to be able to teach her. I have to be familiar with the readings and why those readings are what they are. So, so I have to study them also. And it's been a really great teaching Claire because I found that I'm learning as well. So I guess, yeah, I'll go ahead and give the plug for the mass box. Get, go visit www.themassbox.com and sign up or at least watch a couple of the videos and talk to your kids about them because and that's a great way. You watch the videos with your child. I mean, what kid doesn't want to sit down and watch a video? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know any. Um, <laughs> oh, fun. But that gets the kids in, you know, engaged into the program, and then hopefully the kids have questions. Hey, what were they talking about? What was this thing? How do you, what's that big word? Transubstantiation. Like, um, you, let, the, let your own children drive what you teach them because they're going to be curious. Kids are naturally curious. They want to know more. That's really cool. We're just looking at your site now and it, it looks really fun. (laughs) It does. I want to do the crafts. (laughs) (laughs) I have fun with them. But so for each week, just to get a little more specific, you have a video. So you have the mass box that's delivered and it has a craft in it. And then you have a video for it. So the formula is able to be tailored to the family, as they see. But the ideal formula was the original intent was the box shows up on the doorstep for the beginning of the month, and it's going to have in it all the crafts that you're going to need for each of the weeks, each of the Sundays and holy days of obligation in that month. And they're going to be individually packaged, so it's really easy to be able to grab that week. Then sometime leading up to Sunday Mass, when it's convenient for the family, watch the show with the kids. Let them get excited about wanting to learn more and get them excited about wanting to make the craft. And then take that excitement and roll it right into breaking open that that Mass box, grabbing that week's bag, and doing the crafts and talking about readings in the Mass box as a booklet that has discussion points, it has the readings that you're not that familiar with the gospel reading or you want to review the responsorial, uh, all the readings are right there in the mass box book, some discussion points, and you've already had a chance to see the dad fumble through the readings with his daughter on the show. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's really and great. And we put up in the, the magazine that can go to mass. So there's some activities to help engage in the readings, activity sheets that basically we copied highlights but made it Catholic and having to do with the math. So, yeah. you know, find the hidden objects, what's different, those kind of age-appropriate activities, but it all has to do with the math reading. So they have a basically a 16-page booklet that has the readings and activities that they can go to math with after they've done the craft. So there's a lot of reinforcement in different learning styles. I was doing some more research on it the other day. And it's like 90% of kids before second grade learn primarily through doing and kinesthetics. They don't learn from mm. writing and reading or being read to yet as much as they do from hands-on. So that's where 
the crafts are really critical mm. because Claire may completely forget what the transfiguration is, but if we pull out materials that went with the craft, she can go, oh, I remember when we made Jesus going up, who was in the clouds, mm. and there were the disciples, mm-hmm. and he was transfigured, and they were like, Jesus, you're holy, and she tells us the whole story of the transfiguration from a craft we did for Sunday readings three months before, which is not a kind of retention we get out of a six-year-old normally, <laughs> but doing something hands-on makes it easy. Super um, cool. And that easy is... to, you know, actually absorb and discuss. That and is... get kids excited about it instead of, oh, my parents are making me do this thing. Right. Right. And that's so cool. I love that you've thought about getting mm-hmm. down to the kids' level and yeah. to try to think about what will be easiest for them to, what will be the most accessible for them and easiest for them to retain because it's, I don't know, I have this impression of before now, before this moment in the church, it was kind of like, sit down, memorize this, you know, and it may be not always the most helpful to really figure out how to absorb it and retain it in kids' lives. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. Uh, we, we, there was a time where we merely had to memorize the Baltimore Catechism, which mm-hmm. unto itself is a wonderful thing. I, I love the Baltimore Catechism. It's one of the things that helped bring me into the church. But I found that the memorization didn't bring me to be a Catholic. It's the internalization yeah. that made me a Catholic. It's making those things, those teachings my own. Mm-hmm. And if kids are creating a craft that becomes their own, yeah, Joseph, our, our two-year-old is here contributing. Um, <laughs> See, yeah, it sounds like he's really nice. into this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and what I've noticed with kids, imitation leads to internalization. Yeah. So kids will will become what they see. So when they see mom and dad praying, when they see mom and dad excited about the craft, excited about talking about Jesus, excited about learning more about scripture and talking about scripture. When mom and dad are zealous about going to mass and and never skip a mass and are paying attention during mass, when the kids see that you have such an importance on it, it seems to me that the kids will imitate and internalize that type of behavior, Mm -hmm. but, but not in a fake way. I mean, there are times where the kids are like, Oh, you know, do we have to go to mass? I say, yeah, guys, Honestly, I don't want to go either today, but this is our chance to go spend some time with Jesus, and Jesus is calling us. So, come on, let's get dressed. And I and I think being honest with it and seeing, you know what, sometimes mom and dad don't want to go to Mass, but they do it anyways because Jesus calls us. And so, yeah, I think that's a good thing, being honest with your kids as you deal with your own struggles in your growing in the faith. Yeah, I think definitely that's the most useful to prepare them to actually have a living faith that can be with them for life. Yeah, for sure. We all have time to not have the answers, and we have to pray and soul search and research and get spiritual direction and wrestle with ourselves. If you don't prepare for that, you're going to be, you know, bombed out of the water by challenges. Yeah, exactly. That seems like a pretty good place to wrap up. Is there anything else that you'd like to mention to our listeners? Thanks for listening. We did um, put a coupon code together for your listeners. For oh, wonderful. Box. Um, yeah, so that's Fishers 15, easy to remember, for Fishers <laughs> of Men and 15. 
we also have just uh, an email list where every week we send out the videos if people want to get on our website and join that, which is a totally free thing to just get ideas to start with. The box is really the tool for, hey, I don't have time to go shop for 18 different craft supplies. Really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. So that's massbox.com, yeah. and mm -hmm. the coupon code would be Fisher's15. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Awesome. And I see that you are all, all over the interwebs. So you have Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, <laughs> all the things. So. Yes. Yeah. You can definitely uh, connect with us there too. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. That was really awesome. Yeah. Thank you. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for having us. It was pretty cool. We love what you guys do. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We love what you do. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, okay. Well, uh, God bless you. This is definitely a great ministry, and uh, we, d we definitely wish you a lot of success and hope that our, any of our listeners that um, might find this useful, we really hope that yeah. they can look into it. Yes. Themassbox.com. Thank you, Ashley and Raymond. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 <laughs> Thank you for listening to our podcast. This has been another episode of Fishers of Men. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please email us at fishersofmenpodcast at gmail.com or find us on our website at fishersofmenpodcast.com. We are also on Facebook under Fishers of Men. Follow us on Twitter at at LA Gone Fishing or on Instagram at Fishers of Men Podcast. There is an underscore after each word. Please also remember to rate and make comments on iTunes if you feel so inclined. It's really important so that other people can discover our podcast. I'm Larson Sams. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. Until next time.